way of um, concluding our welded series about marriage and where we started was God defining in the original you know the original design for marriage and welding two people together ever before there was sin in the garden when the you know the, the the shopping for the first wedding was pretty easy they were butt naked and so we saw that they're welded together and then last week he said, you know, if they're God designed it to be together, then what, what, how does it work? And we looked at the role of the husband and the wife and to see that in action. What does it look like? And see, one of my favorite things about the Bible is that it's legitly, legit honest. If I was going to fabricate a cool fairy tale, they got married, everything worked out, and they had exactly the amount of kids that they wanted, and the budget was always balanced, and they always got along, right? So what, I was like, okay, so we're doing this series about marriage. I'm like, God, where in your word is there a, a cool story about a marriage? I'm like, so I looked at this. That. David really was a bomb. There's nothing really, I, I did, originally, originally I was going, hey, how was David? That is exactly what not to do with wives and kids. I'm like, okay, so where's another? And so I was like, Abraham and Sarah. So we're going to trek through a large section of Genesis this morning. So if you want to follow along, turn to Genesis 12. But we're going to hop, skip, and jump and try to do the entire marriage of this couple that got married and how did God work together and what is there other parts of scripture that give us a commentary does God say anything in his word about this particular marriage so as we look at the case study of Abraham and Sarah Genesis 12 it's on page 8 of the story Bible does anybody want a Bible this morning you're free to take this home anybody okay page 8 in this story about, oh, I got to turn around in 1 Corinthians from this morning. Genesis 12. And for those in the room that are married, do you remember your, when you first got married, all these hopes and aspirations and promises to one another and how things were going to turn out cool? Yeah, Genesis 12. Robbie, you know, I'm, I'm like, this is, I'm not really excited about today. I know we're going to eat lunch and Harold's going to cook, and I'm really excited about that because I've had his cooking. But, this, this sermon has really got me fired up this week. So turn to the love-struck eyes of these two couple early in their marriage. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went, and the Lord had, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and when they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So stop there. Imagine the promise that God shows up. Hey, you, knew, you guys are new in your marriage. I know they're older, but this is where they start. This is where the story starts. So for all of those in the room who are a little bit older and have been married, you know, you guys can write a story in your marriage. You don't have to necessarily be 21. But look, you start this story, and what does God say? Leave and cleave. Abram, you want to follow me? Leave everybody. Leave mom and dad. Leave your kindred. Leave all your friends. I want you to connect with Sarai. Sound familiar? 
In the beginning, God said, Your husband shall leave his wife and weld. That's where we're calling this the weld series. It is to adhere. It is to cleave. It is to become one. It is to turn the welder on, melt the two, and put them together as one. So, hey, you two, leave country, friends, and family. Be with Sarai. And God tells him, when you leave, I'm going to take you to a land you've never seen, and I promise to give it to you. So God's going to give him land. He's going to give him blessings. And what else does he promise to give him? Right from the get-go, I'm going to give you a family. Right from the get-go. So at 75 and 66, they start their great adventure together. Pick up, leave, cleave. Get away from your kindred. I'm going to write a story that I'm going to write with you two in the cauldron of following me together. And I'm going to tell my story through your marriage. So it's time to exit. And this is the point where they got to bank on God's word. Is God's word really true? God, when you promise me this, are you really going to do it? So they set out with all their possessions. The Mayflower semi is loaded because he's quite wealthy. You know, we did, some of us move with a small U-Haul. So they pack up everything and head out of town. So now let's jump to the first trial, this young married, well, this newly married, this newly set out family, this new married couple, and move to verse 10 in the same chapter, chapter 12. Now there was a, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So when he went about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a wonderful, you are, that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life might be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Stop there. Okay, so a severe famine breaks out. They just left. God's given them these promises. We're going to move to Florida, y'all, or wherever it was, the Canaan. And, okay, great idea. We're going to move. We're getting, going to follow God. Boom, we get there, and there's a severe famine. Trial number one, right off the bat. And so what are we going to do? So he comes up with this protection plan policy. Every husband says, duh, 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 I'm going to take care of my wife, and i got a plan. So let's look at what his plan was. It's a plan that he says, I'm going to, quote, unquote, protect my wife. So what was his plan? And why did he need to protect her? Because she was really smoking hot. Now, I don't know what oil of a she used at 66, but the woman had it going on. Let's just put it out there. It's in the text. Abram's like, hey, yeah, I'll marry that one. But this isn't going to turn out well, because when we go to the new town, everybody's going to want her, and they're going to kill me. So he comes up with a plan. I'm going to, quote, unquote, protect my wife because she's so good looking, and they'll kill me. So say you are my sister instead. Look at what he says in verse 12. What personal pronoun does he use? 
that it may go well for huh? me. Oh, it's all about you, sweetheart, but I'm going to protect my hind end. This isn't going to go well, by the way. Do what this, do, hey, I come up with this plan to take care of us, and she's like, goes along with it. And it's going to end up well for me. But this doesn't end well because it isn't totally the truth. He doesn't give 100% of the truth. There's a long story on the relationship of Sarai and Abram. So he wasn't necessarily lying that he was related, but it wasn't the whole truth. You ever heard the saying, a half-truth, a whole lie? Husbands, how many times have you told a half-lie to protect something from your wife? You don't have to necessarily raise hands, but I'm not going to tell her everything. I'm not going to share everything because I'm going to, quote-unquote, protect her. And it isn't totally for her. You can pick that up in his pronoun. He's not really have her best interests in mind. And, and what had God just said? I'm going to promise you kids. I'm going to promise what also? Bless those who bless you. And what to those? Curses those who curse you. I got you. Follow me. So they first, right out, of, they're heading down side 75. They get to the new spot. There's a severe famine. So who does Abram rely on to, quote, unquote, protect his wife? himself. Dude, I, guys, I get hit with this, and my wife, this is hard to preach because she's here today. I come up with great ideas that I think are in her best interest, but truly, they're self-centered. Who becomes the pawn in the game? Really, look at the text. Who becomes the pawn? Who is manipulated? Sarai. So sure enough, she gets noticed. The protection plan doesn't work. But in his mind, did it. If you're all about yourself, husbands, guys, did it work? Your hind end's good. All your 401k, everything in the bank account is still going good. She just happens to move out for a little bit. She's got great care. She's at the Ritz Hilton with the Pharaoh. Right? Can you see his line of thinking? But you got to love the Bible because look at verse 17. What does it say? Move with me to verse 17 in Genesis 12. But the Lord. Guys, if you come up with a plan and then the next thing is, but the Lord. Time to figure out where you're at. Look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her, go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. While the plan looked like it worked, then you got the, the, the phrase, but God. And what does he, who, who feels the pain of Abram's poor choices? Guys, when you make a decision and you're going to take care of your wife and you want to lead in the home and you make a poor decision, who pays the consequences in this particular setting? Pharaoh and his household. 
They're the ones struck with plagues. For real, if this was a democracy, would they have voted for God's punishment for this? And if I'd have found out that if I was Pharaoh, you lied to me, I might have just cut your head off. Instead of saying, hey, take everything, load up the Mayflower, load up the U-Haul, and just please leave. You lied to me. Yes, I would have charged him an incredible excise tax, at least. But God looks at this plan. He didn't rely on God. And then Pharaoh's the one who has to come to him and confront him about it. But you, you got to think this morning. Take your wife and go. Where to? Why are they there? There was a severe famine, so they came down to find refuge. The end result of the plan is getting booted back into the situation again, and you got to figure out how to take care of it. Men, when you're leading in the home, and you're leading your wife, and you're trying to come up with your own little protection plan, you make sure that as you're leading, it's for her, for God, and for his promises. If it's about you and your self-preservation, it likely could backfire, and then you're in the original problem you were in in the beginning. So the result, the family's evicted. They're back out into the severe famine. Abraham's, Abram's testimony is a half-truth teller while he's following God. God's made him these great promises. He's going to make him a nation. And right out of the bat, right on the first thing in the journey, what's his testimony to the world around him? Shiesty, conniving, little wheeler dealer. And then they're off on this new adventure. And, the, and Sarai, what is her little comment in the journal that day for her husband? Played me like a pawn. And the sins to protect himself literally hurt other people. Literally, physically hurt other people. Husbands, our choices in their marriage, in our relationships, sin could literally hurt other people in which we did not, cannot mitigate all the situation. Your choices have ramifications. And the ripple effect is what we cannot control. So now they're back into life outside Egypt. And more strife is going to come along the way. But you notice the text doesn't say anything about Sarai, right? It's like, what did, okay, so she did it. Oh, I love the fact that God says, hey, turn to 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. We read this this morning. I will, if you want to go there, you can. But what was God's commentary on Sarah? She had amazing faith. She submitted to her husband's goofy, boneheaded plan and what, why did they have to make the plan? Because she was smoking hot, good-looking lady. And what's the point in 1 Peter? Ladies, be, be smoking hot. Do it on the inside as you follow your husband, as you follow and trust in Jesus. That's where true beauty is. And her faith in that situation got her story told in 1 Peter chapter 3 as a wonderful woman of following God. Ladies, I will share this part with you because you're married to a bonehead. Every one of us mess up. Does that give you an excuse not to long longer faith in God? Can you say, God, I want to follow you. I will follow my husband even when he makes dumb decisions. And then we're going to work these out. And there's ways of doing that. But your faith is independent. But it's interacting in the marriage. 
And the amazing thing about this text is where God says in one place in his world that women can affect their husbands in such a way that it's powerful without saying a single word. It's in our text. Somehow, some way, when she interacted with Abram, illustrated, husband, I think this is a dumb idea, but I'm going to trust God because he's the one that made the promise for my marriage. Ladies, who is it that gives you solidity in your marriage? Is it your husband's ability to be God? Okay, that's true. But what I'm aggravated about is each one of us, a husband and a wife, when we're failed, when we are let down, we blame them for us losing our identity and our faith in God. God is the one who is welding the marriage together. And these trials that we'll go through today will show where God has worked in each one of their lives to illustrate their independent faith, but as a faith together. Her faith walk wasn't easy right out of the chute, was it? Yet, like First Peter says, her hope was in God. And that was her lasting treasure. So let's look at trial number two. Move to Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer, the son, Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and remember my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. In verse 6, and he, Abram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So after leaving his family and friends, he's leaving and cleaving. After the debacle in Egypt and the family turmoil that happens in Genesis 12 through 14 with Lot, which I can't even get to. When God says, hey, leave and don't bring any family with you, Abram screwed up there and took Lot and Lot created trouble. Big trouble. So he's gone through the trial number one, going to Egypt. He goes through all the bad decisions he made with Lot. And God comes to him yet again and says, fear not, I'm your shield. I got you. Your reward would be very great. And what's Abraham, Abe's, Abraham's first response? Where's the kid? You promised. Now, I love the Bible and the fact that it's really honest. God comes and reiterates again, and the first thing out of our mouth, out of Abram's mouth is, I got that promise, but where's the other one? I mean, it was in the last week banked on one promise of God, and when another one we hadn't seen it working out yet, said, but God, what about this one? It just happens to be in this story. It's really pinpointed. I'm going to give you kids. And so God said, okay, okay. Come on outside. Look at the stars. That's how many I'm going to give you. 
What's Abram do? He believed him. And it was counted to him as righteousness. He took God at his word. Now, we read it this morning in Romans 4, 1 through 3. Our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior ties to this story. Romans chapter 4, the foundational principle on why we have a relationship with Jesus is rooted in a marriage with failed expectations. To trust God at His Word is directly quoted in Romans 4, 1 through 3, of how we are to have a relationship with Jesus originates in a story of an older man taking God at his word about having a baby and dealing with that with his wife. Let that sink in. Our marriages reveal our faith system, our faith in Jesus Christ. Our marriages reveal that. Who, if you could have paused at the time this happened and pulled Abram aside, hey, I know you just went outside, looked at the stars and believed God. Do you know that that will affect millions of people as sharing Jesus Christ? The fact that you do not have a kid yet and you took God at his word is going to be foundational to a faith system. Like, no, I just want a kid. Look at what God's doing. Look how God is writing a story in a marriage. Believe me, God says. And what does belief look like? You've been married a long time and you've been waiting for something to come true and God says, do you still believe me? Do you still believe me? And that's the faith in which it means to follow Jesus. Look at Abram. I've been following you, I've been following you. Yeah, I'm a bonehead. I've made a bunch of mistakes. God comes, hey, fear not, I'll be your shield. Now, do you believe me? Oh, what about the kid? Yeah. And Abram believed in the Lord and he counted it, God counted it to him as righteous. So the result of trial number two is awesome. Abram believed God and his faith ensured a relationship with God. It wasn't the Old Testament law. It isn't the sacrifices. This comes after Abram. How was Abram's relationship with God solidified? All over the thoughts of a baby. So let's turn to Genesis 16. And look at trial number three. And 11 years has passed, and Sarai comes up with her plan to solve this problem. She convinces Abe that he should have sex with her servant, Hagar, and that way God's promises will be fulfilled. And get this. In verse 2, it says, And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Guys, leading in the home. Just pause here for a second. This isn't going to go well. It's her, it's her now. She's coming up with a, her plan, her protection plan, her mitigation plan. And she's a strong enough salesperson at this that Abraham believes her, listens to her voice. But it's 11 years later. It's 11 years since God has promised a kid, since God had reiterated his promise. And what happens? They do. Abraham, you know, Hagar have kid. And what happens then? What's the saga now? Sarai despises or loses disrespect. The look on with contempt is this rich word in the Hebrew. It means 
You look at you ever look at somebody and it just women are professional at this. You can't, you don't necessarily have to say a word, but you walk in and you know she's mad. Mm-hmm. And it's that mad over time that boils, that ferments, and she's got that all in there. And she, her original plan of using Hagar to fulfill God's promises, she now looks at Hagar with that same content. Every time she sees her, it just can't stand her. Then she loses respect. She despises Abram, the one that she wanted to hatch this plan to help him fulfill God's plan. She, now she hates him. Every time she sees him, it just makes her mad. And then she is so sure that Hagar despises her. Look at the nuance in the text. She, we don't know if Hagar despised her, but Sarah's convinced that she does. You ever been in a sinful situation trying to work your way out of it, and you sure when you see the other person, I'm sure they're mad at me. Attributing them to them what you think they should feel, and it's not good. That is dangerous. How has this plan worked its way out for her? Not good. And it gets to the point that she's willing to not kill the kid and the mom. What is she willing to do? Send them back out into the desert with nothing to take care of them. What has she essentially done for them? Killed them. A slow death. Okay, Abraham really messed up when he went to Egypt. Bad plan, all for him. She hatches this plan, and what happens? She, the whole family turmoil in the camp gets turned upside down to the point that you'll commit slow death murder. The result, there's huge family turmoil. Abe doesn't leave. Abe doesn't lead, and he allows a bad plan to go into action. And instead of following God, he submits to Sarah's idea and reaps nasty consequences. Sarai lashes out verbally to everyone like it's their fault. And mother and child are cast into the wilderness. And get this, turn on CNN, Tina and Fox this afternoon, and what is the result of this hatched plan? It's called the Middle East Conflict. All for the want of a baby. All for the want of the baby is where God develops a foundational principle of having faith in Jesus Christ. All for the want of the baby is the current day Middle East conflict. <sighs> Tell me there isn't consequences for our decisions in a married life. How big is this? If somebody would have pulled her to the side and said, you, you hatched this plan, we're going to have... Muslims bombing Israel thousands thousands of years later. Our marriages reveal our faith. Our marriages, our relationships, and how we interact with each other reveal a ton about us. In Genesis 17, 13 years later, 24 years since God first took them and said, hey, we're going to have kids. God reiterates his promise yet again. Yet again. Well, I would need that too 24 years later. 
you're going to have kids, you're going to have a blessing, and it's 24 years later. And it's at this point that God renames Abram to Abraham. Wouldn't we need this reiteration of the promise? Because it's at this point that 25 years later, he laughs. It's 25 years later that she laughs. We, Pastor Michael read that in our text. How many of us would not laugh? We would send an email back saying, I'm done. Not even have a sense of humor. I'd probably be sarcastic, like, whatever. Tell a married couple. They get married at 20, and at 45, God's going to make good on this. I ain't getting married for that. Get married at 50 and say, when you're 74, God will come true on this. Send none of us ever. If I said, follow Jesus this week, and 24 years later, he'll work this out. You'd be like, I'm laughing at that. I'm out of here. So take the laughter in context. Think of the brokenheartedness of following God at his promises, going through these trials, each one of them hashing these plans that didn't work out right, and say, God, I really, really want to follow you. And you got to think for a second, God, why did you take so long to heat the furnace up for that long, for that much heat? He said, I'm going to weld them together. It's a process, not a tack weld when you first got married. I'm going to continue welding you. I got you. When God renames Sarah, she's 90 years old. Who would have even went to the DMV and changed your license at that point? And he says, by the way, Sarah, name your son Isaac. He's going to be born next year. And she laughs. And then she denies it when she's confronted. Get, get this, over their marriage, over the lifespan, over these 24 years, over the long haul, there's been moments of great faith and times when they both laughed at God. In our relationships, in our marriages, there's, there's times when we've gone through the hard stuff and we went, oh, we got stuff going together, honey. Then when there's other times we're like, man, I was a boneheaded move or that was a boneheaded move or the consequences for that are still seeping through our marriages and God is still writing the story in relationships over the long haul. And you can come back together in the night and say, whoa, this trial is welding us together. We've got to go through this. God is working. I still take God at his word. That is all of that wrapped up in Abraham and Sarah, which it would be for us too which is for us too. I don't care if you've been married for six minutes or 60 years. I mean, really, guys and the gals, those who have been married, how long would it take before your first conflict? Is it like 30 seconds after I do? 30 minutes? Then the big ones happen? At year 30? At year 42? At year 16? God is working this process. And what is my promises to you? Follow me through these. So by the time we get to Genesis 18, Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 91. 100 years old. Abraham's like, there's no way we're going to have a kid. And Sarah says, there's no way I'm going to take pleasure in it. 
the way of a woman is done, and there's no way I'm going to have pleasure. I'm just going to let that sit out there. I love the Bible's honesty. So I won't preach too much on that on detail. So we get to Genesis chapter 21. Turn to Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, and at the time of which God had spoken to them. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah had born to him, Isaac. I had a baby. There is a miracle. There are so many miracles going on here. God kept true to his word, did something with her body to give her the ability to give the couple the want. This is way before Viagra. God redid it. And the other thing that's implied in the text, they did it. Would you still follow God and what he's asked you to do even when you were 100? When your body says, I can't do this. At what point over the years had they stopped having sex because it doesn't work anymore? So you're telling me that our sexual relations and our marriage is part of following God. Absolutely. God's definition of faith is rooted in the story of a couple having a baby. It's 25 years now since God's first promise. So a lifetime of following God will weld two people together. The wedding ceremony is the tack weld. The 25 years in the marriage, the heat. It's, for those of you who have welded, it's probably a four-inch thick steel block, you know, trying to get enough heat to weld those two together over 25 years so the end result is a baby. For God to tell his story, to give them a family. This morning, when you look at relationships, am I willing to be a lifetime follower where the trials of life actually work together to weld my marriage together? Or the welding process, the heat of the trial is times when we should split because the molten metal is hot enough that that's a good opportunity to split it. But God is purposely allowing the heat in there for the two of you to be welded together. And as you sit here this morning, what recent trials in my marriage, in my relationship, have welted my marriage? It's perspective. And do you view marriage as a lifelong faith process? Faith in whom? Jesus. Because when Abraham and Sarah tried to figure it out on their own, how did that end up for him? Didn't turn out well. Who gets credit at year 100? God does. It's faith in him, following him, husband and wife following, to weld the marriage together.
And it's a lifetime process.